0: From Religion News Service, this is Beliefs.
1: I remember asking many cardinals before the conclave, well, is nationality a problem? Everybody said to me, no, no, nationality, not a problem. But deep down, nobody wanted the next pope to be from the superpower. Hmm. And if you had an American cardinal elected pope, it would be difficult to separate him from his nation and his people.
0: I'm Bill Baker. A book coming out this month takes us through a play-by-play of the election of Cardinal Jorge Bergoglio to the Papacy. He became the first Latin American pope, the first Jesuit pope, and the first pope to choose the name Francis. America Media's Vatican correspondent, Gerald O'Connell, is my guest today. We met and talked to him about his remarkable account of the election of Pope Francis. Jerry, your book, The Election of Pope Francis, is fascinating, and it reads like a movie script. It just, uh, you know, it's a kind of moment-by-moment encounter of how the pope got elected. But before the pope got elected, something else happened. Pope Benedict quit. (laughs) What is the background on that? It never was clear to me and never really reported by anybody exactly why he did that.
1: Well, Benedict himself explained this in an interview book with uh, Peter Seewald, a German journalist with whom he'd done other interview books. Uh, he He was interviewed partly before the the resignation and partly after the resignation. And he explained very clearly that he felt his physical and mental strength were going down to such a degree that he did not feel he had the energy, mentally, physically, to continue governing the church. And he felt it was time to pass on the baton to someone else. Now, I think there's a background history here that's important to understand. Benedict was one of the closest advisors to John Paul II. And I remember in 2002 when John Paul II was fading I remember him being lifted onto a plane and the cargo lift, uh, he, he, and he was in increasingly bad shape, and journalists began to wonder, should he resign? And I remember one journalist asked Benedict, and I mentioned in the book in 2002, should John Paul II resign? Benedict answered, not him, but I can see a future pope resigning, because now we live longer, medicine is helping us live longer. And what he didn't say was he had watched in the closing years of John Paul's II's pontificate that effectively the government of the church, though nobody was saying it, was in many instances, I'm not saying all instances, being handled by other people. And I got the distinct impression then that Benedict didn't like what he had seen. And Benedict is a very rational man. His writings come out very clearly, but also a man of deep faith. And I think he did what perhaps no one else, most other world leaders would not do, understood. I'm not the only one who can do this job. I mean, it was a great lesson uh, to men of power who cling to their chairs. And uh, we've seen it in Algeria recently. We've, We've seen it in so many countries. People don't want to resign. And yet here was a man with great humility, with great courage, breaking hundreds of years of tradition, almost 800 years of tradition, and saying, it's possible. Canon law envisages it. I've prayed before God, I've reached a decision in conscience, and so I resign. And so that was a decision that changed history. I speak about the conclave changing history, but uh, I, I start with Benedict's decision.
0: And Benedict is, of course, an amazing intellectual on top of everything else. What about uh, the conclave, the election of Pope Francis, which is what your new book is all about? It's is almost second by second an accounting of what happened, including how the votes happened. But nobody, nobody expected Francis to be elected uh, the pope.
1: Well, I tell you something, and I tell in the book as well that. I met Francis the first time, set my eyes on him the first time, in February 2001 when he was given the red hat. And I remember then having a distinct sensation, and I can't explain it to this day, this man could be Pope. And it never left me. When Benedict resigned, the cardinals were not prepared for conclave. And as I mention in the book, I remember meeting Cardinal Bergoglio on the 28th of February and having dinner with him, and he really had no inkling that he was going to be the next pope. He thought, I am 76. I had seen him the previous December in Buenos Aires. I had seen the place. He was talking about resignation, re- retiring. He had already selected the place where he was going to spend his retirement. I'd seen it. And then, so he came to the conclave with a return ticket for the Holy Week ceremonies, hoping to give the new pope his resignation letter. And then, as the from the 28th of February to the... 12th of March, when the cardinals entered the conclave, the cardinals, the electors, began to scrutinize the three frontrunners, and they came up with a little unease about each one. They didn't feel that these were men that were going to change much. Scola was going to continue the tradition of Benedict and uh, John Paul II, and he, he was a theologian, uh, not a fantastic communicator. he was when he spoke sometimes it was difficult to kind of interpret what exactly he was saying. Willette was seen as a a man who'd experienced problems in governing the Diocese of Quebec, was said to have difficulty also governing the uh, congregation of bishops. He was seen as not such a good manager, as one who kind of didn't stand pressure too much. And then Scherer, the Brazilian, he stood out, and I was with Andrea Tornelli, an Italian journalist who is now the uh, senior editor of the Vatican News, uh, we were both working for uh, the La Stampa, the Italian newspaper, and for Vatican Insider. And one evening, we were chatting, and we both discovered we had the same information, that Scherer, the Brazilian, was being used by uh, the very conservative wing of the Roman Curia. Mm-hmm. They wanted to present a new face from the Southern Hemisphere, but put with him a secretary of state who was the old guard and this news we published the article and the many cardinals were very surprised by this and it disturbed many that the old guard in the roman curia would try to block the emergence of something new and so the name of bergoglio began to circulate a little as something different, something refreshing, something with a new vision. Uh, and his lifestyle was very impressive and known to many people. That he, he was a man for the poor. He walked the streets, he went into the shanty towns. And so, on the eve of the conclave, uh, several cardinals who were quite concerned about where it was going had a meeting in the Vatican. And I tell the story and they began discussing the candidates, and they discovered it wasn't a pre-planned thing. They discovered that they were all sharing the same view, that perhaps Schola was a theologian, that they were looking for a pastor. willett had real questions over his ability to govern, and he had difficulty when he was governing the diocese. And so with a church which seemed in real difficulty in questions of government, he didn't seem to match the bill. Scherer was the candidate of the status quo in a conclave which was looking for change. And so they found themselves coalescing around Bergoglio. And, of course, the shock came in the first vote when he came within four votes of the frontrunner, but really within three votes. Scholar got 30 he got 26 but he should have got 27 because there was one his name was misspelled it was they spelled it like brolio who's the of course the archbishop of the armed forces here and uh, willet came number 3 with 22 votes but you remember there were 115 electors 23 got votes which mean one in every five of the electors got a vote so it reflected great uncertainty So that night, the night between the 12th and the 13th, they had many discussions, etc. And next morning when they came to vote, Bergoglio jumped into the lead. And he never looked back. And in the third vote, he went more into the lead so that by the lunchtime of the 13th of March 2013, it was already clear that he was going to be the next pope.
0: The story you recounted so beautifully is really recounted with great vivid detail in the book, uh, the election of Pope Francis. You also mentioned in the book uh, the Americans. There were some Americans that were looked at and considered and in the first round of the conclave got some votes. Um, uh, What was the hesitation there and were the Americans really – really viable candidates at this time.
1: Yes, in the first ballot, two Americans got vote. Uh, Cardinal Sean O'Malley of Boston got 10, which made him the fourth most voted cardinal in the conclave. So he was number four in the lineup to be pope. And the other one was Timothy Dolan, the Archbishop of New York. He got two votes. I remember asking many cardinals before the conclave, well, is nationality a problem? Everybody said to me, no, no, nationality, not a problem. But deep down, nobody wanted the next pope to be from the superpower. Mm -hmm. And if you had an American cardinal elected pope, it would be difficult to separate him from his nation and his people.
0: A lot of people admire the pope, of course. And uh, are concerned that uh, his age could be a factor, a factor in, in uh, his living long enough to get. The job done. There are some very big jobs that need to still be taken care of. No pope in recent memory has faced the challenges this pope is facing with the abuse crisis and with generally religion going down as far as membership uh, is concerned, although that's not really true in the Catholic Church because there are members growing in other areas, but certainly in the Western countries going down. Um, How is his health? How is his attitude uh, you're a close friend of his, really. Uh, 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 is he going to be around for a while?
1: I can tell you he's in good health. I think he's better now than in his first year and perhaps year and a half, two years. Because when he became pope, before becoming pope, he just walked the streets. He walk, and he ate rather frugally the weekends he would cook for himself. He became Pope, and he suddenly found he could not walk the streets anymore. If he went out in the street, you'd get five hundred people within a couple of minutes. It was impossible for him to walk, so he stopped doing getting much exercise, and so he put on weight, and everybody noticed he'd put on weight. now he's re- reduced weight, I think he's managed his diet better and uh, He has enormous energy. I mean, I travel on the flights with him. I've been to Abu Dhabi in February, to Morocco just some days ago. He has more energy than we have. We're exhausted at the end of the trips, and he has extraordinary energy. And when he's been asked about this, he says, it's the grace of office. He believes that God has given him This reinvigorated him, rejuvenated him, if you wish. And he's also got another thing. He's got extraordinary inner peace. I I mentioned in the book that during the lunch break and during the final voting, he experienced real great inner peace which has never left him. And he's said it many times, I have that peace that came to me during the conclave. And so when, people, when I read and hear people saying, oh, well, the Pope got angry. He's very disturbed about this happening. They don't understand the reality of this man, that he is not disturbed. And that, of course, he suffers, and he suffers for the immigrants. And he cries, and he suffers for the human trafficking. He, he suffers when people build walls instead of bridges. And I, I saw how he builds bridges with the Muslims. I've seen it that I've... I've traveled with John Paul too, visiting many Islamic countries. I've also been with Benedict. But really, I've... The response to Francis is quite extraordinary in the Muslim world today. And so he's built bridge, and he's saying religions are not for violence. There are groups, intransigent groups in every religion. And there are groups who manipulate religion for political purposes. But this is not the heart of religion. Religion is for peace. And he's committed to building networks for peace among religious believers. And so the question of his age, he's 82. He was 82 in December. I've looked, uh, I was looking recently because many people asked me this question, you oh, know, how long will he last? We don't know. He's, he's in good health, good spirits. It could be that tomorrow somebody takes him out. I mean, there was Paul VI, there was attacks on him. John Paul II, they nearly killed him. Somebody jumped on the wagon of, on the Pope Mobile of Benedict, and then another time jumped over the rails in, in St. Peter's Square, in St. Peter, in the Basilica. So this, it's, the Pope is a target for some people. I think I do not see conclave on the horizon. I do not see a resignation on the horizon. I think we've got him for some other years. How many? I'm not a prophet. But remember, if Benedict had not resigned, he would be Pope today, and he's almost 92. He will be 92 later this month, just after Easter. Who is to say that Francis will not go on to a, until he's 88? He's in very good health, and he's a extraordinary energy. I just cannot communicate because you see on the Wednesday morning how many hands he shakes, how many people... He g- you saw yesterday, the day before, when he met the Sudanese leaders and he goes on his knees kissed to the feet. I mean, these are powerful gestures. You don't need words. The message is, 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 is in, the, in, in the actions. And I think he's really continuing to invigorate the church and there is opposition but then you have to think back Jesus he had a palm sunday where everybody hailing him and he had a good friday and i think every pope transits from the palm sunday to the good friday Gerald O'Connell
0: Thank you for being with us. Really a pleasure.
1: Thank you very much, Bill. Thank you. It's a pleasure for me, too.
0: Our guest was America Media's Vatican correspondent, Gerald O'Connell. The conversation continues on our Facebook page, and we tweet at Beliefs Podcast. If you like our program, come review us at iTunes. Beliefs is brought to you with the support of the Bernard L. Schwartz Center for Media, Public Policy, and Education at the Graduate School of Education at Fordham University. Jay Woodward is our producer. The theme music is by Edward Billos. I'm Bill Baker, and thank you for listening.